Today is a special edition of Awaken to Grace as we celebrate Student Sunday. And today's sermon is going to be by our wonderful student pastor, Glenn Stewart. He is going to share a word with us from John chapter 2, and I know that it is going to speak right into your life. Let's go to God's Word together today in John chapter 2 as Pastor Glenn Stewart leads us through the teaching. So John chapter 2, I'm going to give you a little backstory of how we got here. So our high schoolers are in a series, we just wrapped up a series called Be the One. And we looked at being the one person that sells out for Jesus in some category, whatever that looks like. The first week was Be the One, and we talked about the little boy who had the five loaves and two fish. And all these disciples, they're screaming, like, how are we going to feed 5,000 people? And more than likely, it's 5,000 families. So they say about 20,000 people. How are we going to feed 20,000 people? And this little boy walks up and says, hey, uh, I'm paraphrasing, so go read it yourself. Hey, um, I got five loaves and two fish. I know it's not much, but here's all I got. And people don't realize, and we had dove into this, like this little boy literally gave Jesus everything that he had. Everything that he was carrying, everything that he had, he said, here's everything I have. I have no idea what you're going to do with it, but I'm trusting you to, fit, to, to figure it out. I'm not going to figure it out. Isn't that what we do with Jesus sometimes? Like, I'll give you this, but you have to use it this way. We talked about give Jesus everything you have and let him figure out what to do with it. The second week, Pastor Brett taught on Peter walking on water. That was be the one with boldness. I don't know about you, but if I see a guy walking on water towards me and says, hey, get out and walk on the water with me, I'm not going to be like jumping up and down and running across the water. Like I imagine Peter's like, okay, I'm coming. And it's like when you get to a pool and you feel if the water's cold or not, you like stick your toe in like, is that going to work? That's what I would do. Like am I really going to, I'm not going to put all the weight on it. Just a little bit to see how it works. Am I going to sink? It must be the one with boldness. And Pastor Brett done a great job with that teaching. The next week, I taught on the ten lepers. Be the one with gratitude. And so many times we as Christians, or people in general, we get blessed by God. And we automatically move to the next thing without thanking Him for what He just blessed us with. And how these ten lepers are on their way to see all these high and mighty people, but the one said, I got to say thank you to Jesus first for the healing that I have. And then this past Wednesday, Taylor, you saw her on the video. She taught on the woman with the blood issue, and she did a fantastic job. And I heard a pastor say one time, everybody that Jesus touched was healed. But the woman who touched Jesus was made whole. That's just, that just resonated with me, and you should go read that. It's really great. So we're going to continue that series. Is that all right? We're going to continue that series in John chapter 2 with the wedding at Cana. Be the one. Let's start reading. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, 
And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Canaan in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed him. So a little backstory how we got here. So typically when I preach on Sundays or when I preach in general, um, I know about Eight weeks out what my topic is and what my scripture is. Now, do I have it worked out to where I know that all the details? Probably not. But at least eight weeks out, I know, okay, I'm talking on the wedding at Cana. Uh, when I spoke back in February, I knew I'm talking on Mark chapter 8. Last year, I knew I was talking on this topic many, many weeks before. And I was struggling this week because I had no idea what I was supposed to teach. Zero. I was in my office Friday, and I literally came in. I had nothing else. I blocked off my schedule all day Friday, all morning, from 8 until 1 o'clock. And I said, I'm not leaving my desk until I have something for Sunday. I left the church at 1 o'clock with nothing for today. (laughs) I had no idea. Later on Friday night... I'm sitting at home in my recliner. Ian's asleep. Ashley's either watching a movie or doing something. I don't know. And I'm still just, I don't know what's going on. I'm just thinking and praying like, God, all right, I've got 36 hours. Like, the countdown is on. I got to have something. I can't get up there like an idiot not have anything. I went through 14 different passages Friday. 14 and they were all no's. It wasn't no because I didn't have the knowledge of it or no because I didn't know what was going on or the historical context. It was just the Holy Spirit said, that's not it. So when I get to this, and I get to John chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit says, that's it. It's like 1045 Friday night. And like I'm on my phone in my notes just typing everything because I had no paper, no pen around me. I had no idea what was going on. I was just writing everything down that I could think of. And then I start diving into it a little bit Friday night and into Saturday. And the first part of today is being patient and listening for the words of Jesus. And it's like, ha ha, God, you got a sense of humor. Because I'm not that. I'm not patient. Anybody else patient? Who's patient in here? Who's patient? Teach me. Because <laughs> I am not. Like, if I know something's got to go down, I want to know, like, okay, I got three weeks left. I need to know every detail by now. 
That's just how I am. But we're going to dive into this, and you're going to see how the Holy Spirit spoke to me Friday night. And I'm praying that he'll speak to you in the same text. So let's look at this, a little bit of the backstory of the wedding of Cana. So scholars believe that Jesus was only invited because he was the son of Mary. I went to a wedding yesterday, and my aunt was getting married. And you guys know I love my wife and my son, but they were invited to the wedding because of what? Because I was as a nephew, right? I had connection to the wedding. And scholars believe that Jesus was invited with his disciples only because Mary was invited. And they say that Mary probably had some sort of role in the wedding because how would she know there was no more wine? How would she know this was going on? How would she know these things without being in the know of what's going on? So some people think Mary was involved in the wedding planning. The Bible says this was his first sign. So, and a little bit of side note here. People use that scripture, scholars use that scripture to prove why other Bible, other books of the Bible that has Jesus as an infant and as a teenager was not in the Bible. And all these things are hearsay because this states that was his first sign and miracle. Just a side note. So let's look at an interesting fact. So this was his first miracle, and it was a sign of grace. He changed water into wine. Let's look back at Moses' life. What was his first plague? Anybody know? Water into blood. And so Moses' first plague was changing the river into blood, which was a sign of judgment. But Jesus was turning water into wine as a sign of grace in the New Testament. Just That was another interesting fact. That just blew my mind. So write that down if you want to. In this culture, if you ran out of wine or food, and these celebrations were about a week long, if you ran out of wine or food, you had a bad reputation in the community, and there's a chance you could be fined for not fulfilling those tasks. Now, how would you feel if you ran out of food and wine, and you still had to pay extra money because you didn't have enough money to buy the stuff that you needed? So they believe that this wedding was not a very rich wedding. It was a very middle, middle class or lower citizen in economics in their wedding. And then, this one hit me hard too. This is the last thing of the backstory that I'll share. Mary never told Jesus what to do. Mary never said, hey, you have to change this water into wine. What did Mary do? All she did was report the problem. There is no wine. And in our prayer life, don't we get that way to God sometimes? Like, hey, God, you got to fix it this way. God, here's the solution that I came up with to fix my life. And then we expect God to do that, right? Mary didn't do that. Mary just reported the problem. She said, Jesus, there's no wine. Now you do what you have to do. Mary had trust in who Jesus was and what he could do in that moment. So let's look, pick up right there. That's where we're going to start. The first one, there's three points there. The first one, be the one to patiently wait on the Lord. Be the one to patiently wait on the Lord. So the one thing that the Bible intrigues me is it never really gives timetables. 
There's some time in there, but then there's also time, places where there's no time. So how do we know when Jesus, when Mary said to the servants, do whatever he tells you? I got me thinking, like, how long was that gap from when she said that to Jesus said, fill the jars? And it got me thinking, like, these servants are probably antsy. They're probably like, hey, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? When do I do it? What do you want me to do? And isn't that how we get with God sometimes too? When he says, wait, we get so antsy, we cause ourselves anxiety. We cause ourselves chaos because we're not patiently waiting on the words of Jesus. So we're going to be the one who's patiently waiting. It makes me think of one of my favorite videos to watch, and this is just me and my interest. I love watching, like, highly skilled dog trainers. Like, super skilled, military-level dog training. Where they'll tell a dog to lay down, and they will go wherever they want, do whatever they want. And then they say their one command, and that dog responds instantly, right? I've noticed watching those videos, those dogs lay there. They're not antsy. The well-trained dogs are not antsy. They're not running in circles. They're not jumping. They're down. They are laying patiently waiting on the voice of their master. And then they respond. And it got me thinking, you got that Psalms 46, 10. What does it say? Be still and know that I am God. How many times do we just sit and be still and understand that sometimes God just wants us to be still? If you're like me, my schedule is chaotic. I'm so excited for tomorrow. Tomorrow's Labor Day. I'm so excited. Ashley said, hey, what's on the schedule for Monday? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nothing on the calendar. We're not doing anything. Now, that's probably going to change. But there's nothing on the schedule. And once every few months or every few whatever, weeks or whatever, we look at our calendar. It's on our refrigerator, and it is like all kinds of colors, like red, black, white, uh, you got to do this for students, you got to do this for the church, this for severe, this for family, this for fun. And it's, it's completely booked. So when do I actually sit still and patiently wait on God? See, I try to use the excuse, well, God, I talk to you and I pray while I'm driving. I don't bow my head to close my eyes. That, that's a bad idea. But I'm like, that's my time with you, God. Like, every morning... After I drop in off at daycare, it is a 14-minute drive from there to work, and I'm praying the whole time, no radio. Sometimes I listen to Scripture, but that's my time. God said, you're not being still. How many times have you caught yourself, God, that's your, that's your me time, that's your be still time, and then before you know it, it's been 20 minutes, and you've scrolled on Facebook, and you've been on Instagram, and you thought about 14 different things, and you forgot where you were praying, and you didn't know what Scripture and you're like, well, that was a waste of time. You ever been there? Happens to me all the time. So how do we be still? That's hard in our culture. It is hard to just sit still. I can't do it, first of all. I'm like my 18-month-old kid when I come sit in a chair. Like you put a little kid in timeout, what do they do? They get antsy. They start crying. They want to get, get down and run. They want to play. They want to talk. They, that's me. 
when I have to be still, that's me. I'm antsy. Maybe it's because I work in student ministry. I don't know. I'm always on my toes. I'm always going somewhere doing something. God really convicted me, like, just be still. Just be still. And I'm dealing with that today. I'm dealing with the just be still. And that conviction just came Friday. And I'm sitting there trying to be patient. Say, what's your next step? But God, the month of September is my busiest month of the year. We have day camp. We have night of worship. We have student Sunday. We have Speak Life student conference. All these things. We have October. All these things in the next seven weeks. They're going to cost us about $4,000 in ministry. I can't be still. And then exactly what Pastor Ted said, the Holy Spirit said to me, he's like, is this your work or my work? He, he reminded me that all the things for Speak Life, the student outreach, the strong leadership, the conferences, the day camps, all that, he goes, you didn't come up with those ideas. I said, you're right, God, I'm not that smart. So I'm patiently waiting on God to see what he has to do this, this month. It's our biggest month of the year. But we are trying to patiently wait on the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's look at the next step. Part two, be the one to prepare the way. So Jesus said in verse 7, to fill the jars with water. And what did they do? He says, and they filled them to the brim. These servants probably had zero idea. They're probably like, what in the world is he going to do with all these gallons of water? It says there were 20 or 30 gallons. There were six of them. Let's do 20 gallons apiece at six. That's what, 120 gallons of water? They're like, oh, what, what's he going to do with water? He's going he's gonna to make these people drink water? But the whole time they were working, they were preparing a way for Jesus to work without them knowing. They were preparing a way for a miracle to happen. In your daily life, are you preparing a way for God to work? Are you starting conversations? Are you sending text messages? Are you opening your Bible? And trying to prepare a way for God to work. Makes me think of the four in the book of Mark. Where they dug out the hole in the ceiling and lowered their friend down through the roof. Those four friends had no idea. Zero idea what Jesus could do or was going to do. But they said, we got to prepare and make a way for Jesus to do something. And just like these servants, they prepared a way for Jesus to move. Isn't it nice that, uh, could Jesus do it without the servants? Yeah. Could he do a lot, of, could he do everything he wants to do without us? Yes. But isn't it nice that he loves us to allow us to participate? Isn't it nice when you can just... Say, you know what, God, it's yours, you do the work, I'm just glad to witness it. And that's what I want to be. I don't want to be some high and mighty speaker or this person who's well known in the community. I don't care about those things. I just want to prepare the way for Jesus to move. 
I just want to open the door and say, God, I don't know what you're going to do. But you told me to do this, so I'm going to do it. I don't know the outcome, but I'm going to do it. See, I didn't, I didn't have a plan going to the schools and sharing the gospel. I didn't go in with this agenda saying, hey, you know what? I'm Glenn Stewart. I work at Pre- Preaching Christ Church. You should know me. Let me talk to your kids. Do you think that would work in today's school system? <laughs> nope. Not at all. I would probably be laughed at. But you know I said, hey, let me bring donuts. Hey, let me just provide a free meal for your teachers one day. Hey, let me just come in and sit in your counseling office and just ask how I can help the students of the school. Don't put my name on it. Don't put a church name on it. Don't have to tell anybody. I just want to know how I can practically help this school. How we got started with athletics is severe. I pulled up one day and I said, hey, coach, uh, again, you don't, care, you don't care who I am. It's fine, but I, here who's who I am. I said, I have 200 popsicles in my car frozen. Can I open them for your football team? That's it. I have scissors. I have a trash can. I, I just want to open popsicles. Did that with the football team. Then the cross-country team said, hey, you've got popsicles. I said, you know what? I brought extra just for you. And then the volleyball team walks out of the gym. Hey, do you have any extra popsicles? I sure do. I'll be right back. That was five years ago. And now, those who know me, I'm at Severe four to five days a week for two to four hours a day. No agenda. I help coach. I help run drills. I help do those things. I don't have an agenda, but I'm opening the doors for conversation. I would never, I would never, I would never call anybody out and embarrass them. But because I have been faithful and consistent in opening doors, that's it. That's it. Just opening doors, having conversations. We have athletes who attend our church now. Some are here this morning because five years ago, I cut open popsicles. All I did was prepare the way for Jesus to work. It took $11 and a pair of scissors. And now we're able to disciple these students and raise them up for the glory of God. So what are you doing in your everyday life? It may be a sacrifice. It may be something normal. But how are you opening the door for Jesus to work? In this case, they filled up 120 to 180 gallons of water. They said, I have no idea what you're going to do with it, but this is what you said. That word that I was patiently waiting on, I got it. Now I prepared the way. It's back in your hands now. I can't change water to wine. I can't save souls. I can't do these miracles. But I prepared the way for your glory to shine through. Let's look what happened. Verse 3. 
or sorry, point three, not verse three, point three. Be the one to act in faith. Now, this is the one that's a little, it's a little tricky. Because I promise you, going back to the four phases of our student ministry that I shared earlier, phase four of helping other churches, I was terrified of that. What, what are other churches going to think? You guys know. Why is this church trying to tell us how to do ministry, right? Does this church think they're better than us? Does this church think they have it all together? You can imagine those thoughts going through your mind, right? That was mine. Ask the people that I talked to. That was my exact thoughts. And I had to act in faith and say, hey, guys, I, look, God told me to help you. I'm not trying to teach you. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to do anything. All I know is God told me to help you grow. And we've already had two churches do it. I have two, maybe three more scheduled for the rest of the year. Because I took a step in faith. And said, I don't know what you're going to do with it. I I waited and heard the word from you. I prepared the way by having the connections. Now I'm taking a step in faith saying, how can, I, how can I help these ministries grow? Nothing would make me more excited than for me to have a kid at Sevier say, hey, I live in the Lynn Garden community, or I live in this community, and I'm like, hey, I have a church that we work well with that will raise you up in the gospel. Just walk there. It's two streets over. Isn't that what we're supposed to be about? I tell people all the time, hey, look, if all of Sevier said I'm coming to church on a Sunday night, and they come here, I'm fitting two and a half kids per seat in this building. Two and a half per chair. I have nowhere to put them. And they don't all need to be here. Because I can't do my due diligence, and our team can't, by discipling them if there's that many here. They need to go somewhere they can get plugged in. So it's an act of faith. Take that act of faith to say, God, I don't know what you're going to do with it. I, I listened to you. I prepared the way. Now you're telling me to go. It's exactly what they did. Let's look right here. And he said to them, now, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. This is really interesting to me. Because my question is, when did he actually turn the water to wine? Was it when they filled the barrel up? Was it when they dipped the water out? Or was it when the master took a drink? The Bible doesn't say. My brain wants to know. This is who I am. But I would think to say that it, that it was an act of faith to take that dip of water to the master. Because these servants knew they just filled it up with water. Probably out of the creek. And they're like, they're going to take this to the master of the feast? Okay. Could you imagine if they got there and the master drunk the creek water instead of the wine? What would happen to those servants? But in an act of faith of who Jesus is, they took it. Imagine this. Imagine if they waited. Imagine if they waited till the water was completely wine. Or imagine if they waited 
until all the wine ran out before they went. Imagine if they waited until the master came looking for it. How much chaos that would be. Panic. And the bridegroom and the groom and the master of the ceremonies. There's nothing to drink. Imagine if they had delayed obedience. The chaos that would happen. See, when we have to take an act of faith and we take that step out, it must be when Jesus says, go. And so many times we want to rationalize in our mind, maybe not now. Maybe a better time. Maybe I shouldn't make that phone call right now. It is a little late at night. Maybe I shouldn't send that text message praying for that person because I don't know what they might be working. Or maybe whatever the case may be. And you delay that disobedience. There's chaos that could happen in that moment. Now, I'm not saying anything crazy and chaotic like massive, but chaos meaning things that could have been prevented if you'd just taken that step of obedience in the time Jesus says to go. So, what is the end result? What is the end goal? So we're patiently waiting on the, on the word of the Lord, right? We are preparing the way for Jesus to work, and we're acting in faith. And this story plainly describes to me, the Holy Spirit showed me in this moment, the end result when we do all three of those things. Let's read it. Verse 9, when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said, everyone serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. When you patiently wait on the Lord and you prepare the way for Him to work, and you act in faith in the steps He tells you to, the result is better. The result is sweeter. And I want to take a stab and say, it was abundantly more. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think. According to the power that is within us. See, all of those things, patiently waiting, preparing the way, acting in faith, all that is the power of God within us. And he's able to do abundantly more than we can ask or think when we obey and listen to his words. So as we finish today, where are you at in your walk? Are you, do you need to patiently wait on the Lord? Psalms 46.10. Do you need to find a ways to live your life in preparation for God to work? Or maybe you're needing to take that risky, faith-filled, bet-the-farm step in faith 
I am a strong believer that all of us in this room are at one of those three categories. We either need to patiently wait, prepare the way, or act in faith. So I'm going to say a prayer. Seek God and what He needs. And I have good news for you. This is where I pray. I have good news for you. If you do those things, in the end, we celebrate in victory. Not because of what we did, but because the power within us, the power that Jesus has bestowed in us. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for our student ministry. Thank you for the team that serves, the students that uh, commit. Thank you for the church that prays. But God, right now, let us turn our, turn our prayer inwardly. And let us seek ourselves and say, are we patiently waiting on the word of the Lord? Or are we antsy and trying to do things on our own? Are we preparing the way for Jesus to work a miracle in our lives? Or do we need to, are we prepared? We just, we're just scared to act in faith. God, let us act in faith boldly. Because you say that you will give us abundantly more than we can ask or think. Because of the power that is within us. We're asking you, your Holy Spirit, show us where we fail and what our next step is. In Jesus' name, amen.